0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef. Pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California. Hearst Ranch Grass-Fed Beef, free-range, sustainably produced, humane. Hearst Ranch Grass-Fed Beef, the authentic flavor of the American West. This
2: is Severin, this is Greenhorns Radio, and it's raining here in Hudson. We are preparing for a big then this weekend at the Clearwater Festival, we're going to be making spelted blankets and seltzer, I mean, uh, old-fashioned seltzer drinks from homemade syrup, and so it's a seltzer felting tent, which may sound very difficult, to, but it's easy to say. Uh, anyway, so here we are. It's another episode, and I'm talking with Paul. How is it going over there? Well, things
1: are good. We have uh, a little bit of smoke in New Mexico from the fires down south, but it's uh, warm and dry, and we're hoping for some afternoon thunderstorms.
2: So let's give a little introduction to uh, your part of the country um, and then to your your operation yeah. uh, just, as a, just as a way of introduction.
1: Sure. Well, I'm out in the, the mountains of New Mexico, And so a lot of people from back east, when they think about New Mexico, they think about desert and cactus and roadrunners and all of that. And certainly we have all that in the central and southern part of the state. But the northern part of New Mexico, um, think more like Colorado. It's the southern spur of the Rocky Mountains called the Sangre de Cristos. And our farm is located at an elevation of 7,300 feet. The mountains that I'm looking out at right now go to over 13,000 feet. Uh, we get just uh, 12 inches of rain, um, and it's very sparsely populated out here in New Mexico. We have, you know, the uh, we're the fifth largest state in the union, and we have fewer people than Brooklyn. So it's just uh, wide open country and beautiful <laughs> skies. And
2: <laughs> gosh, your elevation just made me sneeze. It's so must be really frigging cold in the winter.
1: It is uh yeah, two years ago we hit minus twenty seven Fahrenheit. Holy so holy. Un- yeah, that's unusual. You know, normally we hit um just about minus six every year. Um and we we figure we plant for about zone minus fifteen if we're doing perennials and stuff like that. So it's mountain agriculture. It's uh you know, we have an 87-day growing season. Our, our last frost here was just a couple of days before Memorial Day. And then usually right around the first week of September, we'll get a killing frost, and then it'll warm up, and we'll have Indian summer for another six weeks.
2: Whoa. Holy smokes. That's, that's short. That's, um, that's really short. Wow. So there you are, but you decided to be in this... You decided to be there for a reason, presumably, and what was that reason?
1: (laughs) Well, um, I ended up in Taos really because I was looking for a small town with an international feel that uh, was in the United States but not like the United States. I didn't really want to be uh, an expatriate. I tried that, and I thought, well, let's find a slower pace of life. I actually grew up in Los Angeles. And my education was um, actually in computer engineering. And I worked for the very first dot .com, which was Symbolics.com. And that, that first dot .com was 1985. And I worked, uh, it was a, a spinoff from the MIT Artificial Intelligence Lab. So I was working with them, and we were um, out in Los Angeles designing another computer. Eventually, I just sort of tired of all of the technology, and I ended up... Um, buying a place in Taos, and so, so I would telecommute. I
2: don't want to cut you off, but I can't hear anything. So I'm going to oh, ask the next question. Um, no, it's not your fault. Did you? Do you? Now I hear you again. That's good. Don't grumble. They're having radio. The radio transmission is having problems. But so let's talk a little bit about the, your growing practices, since you're up so high, and you're uh, committed to a lot of big ideas. How does right. that? How does <laughs> how does that translate into the everyday? And and can you just walk us through some of your irrigation system and um, cultivation and and just logistics of
1: that? Sure. So the the only way that you can uh, make it work under these conditions is through protected culture. So you have to have some kind of protection um, to to make it work. So we have. Um, three different things that we do we have uh, a line of microgreens that is produced year round and that uses artificial light and is, you know completely environmentally controlled and then we also do a produce crop of tomatoes that's um, just ripening up actually right this week and that is in a, in a heated greenhouse but all of the irrigation water for that greenhouse is captured rainwater because when I bought this property, I wasn't farming. I was actually still in the realm of computers, and I just bought it because it had a pretty view. Um, but the, uh, the well on the property is 935 feet deep. So it really wasn't suitable for agriculture. I mean, the entire property really wasn't suitable for agriculture When you, you know, come from a permacultural perspective, you just start with what you have, and you work with what you have, and you figure out how to make it work. So back 10 years ago when I built the first greenhouse, I designed a system that would capture all of the rainwater off of the residential house plus off the greenhouse. So in an area where we get only 12 inches of rain, we can capture 45,000 gallons in an average year.
2: Holy moly, so, that's
1: a lot. Yeah, it's amazing how much you can catch. And imagine, you know, somewhere like the East Coast, where you have a lot of rain, then then you're in a situation where, uh, you know, that 45,000 would be 180,000 in New York. So Easily. The, um it's amazing how much water is available right out of the sky. And the nice thing about that water is it's very pure. There's almost nothing in it. So, so you, uh, certainly in the West, a lot of the problems you have on the farms is that the soils are salting up from over-fertigation or, or over-irrigation, I should say. And uh, so if you're able to use the rainwater... You can, you can really put a stop to that salting of the soil.
2: So you're using the rainwater, you're growing tomatoes and microgreens, and then what's the third part of your operation?
1: The third thing we do is we do a whole line of organic herb and vegetable starts for the natural food stores so that the home gardeners, if they want to put in a vegetable garden and they want that to be an organic garden... They can go in in front of the supermarket and they can buy their starter plants that are certified organically grown and we have uh, you know we 're in seven cities in New Mexico doing that, so it 's nice for us because we have uh, such a short growing season in the mountains that everything gets planted in a four week period, um, but in southern New Mexico, they plant early because it gets too hot, so we start by um, shipping plants down to um, the border of Mexico, really. I mean, we're down in Las Cruces um, in the stores down there. And as the weather warms, the, the stores down south are, are done planting. Then the stores in the middle of the state are planting. And then we end up, uh, actually, the, the last place they plant is higher up in the mountains than us, and they plant on the 4th of July.
2: So between the three of those enterprises, you have a little bit of diversity. You have a little bit of um, safety in that. You're serving the needs of others. And is this is this enough to support one or two people, or how how many of you how many of you are, are living off of these little acres in this high yeah. high mountain?
1: Well, uh, we have seasonally there are three employees plus myself. And then year round, there is myself plus one other person. So we're definitely supporting two people year round. And we have a little bit of extra help in the spring. So somebody's, uh, we've got two more people with seasonal jobs.
2: Pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, and amazing that, that you could do that off of rainwater.
2: In the desert, in the mountain desert.
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: So if you can do it here, you can do it anywhere. And and when you're looking around at the at the market around at the market and at the landscape around you in Taos and and uh, New Mexico, northern New Mexico, where do you see opportunity? Do you see on many other? On, it seems like you've gone out and snooped around and figured out a couple of niche markets and greenhouse tomatoes and microgreens and veggie starts. Those are, in fact, those are the three crops that we specialize in at Monkhood Nursery, which is where I work, because they're good little nooks. Uh, If you don't mind sharing, what are some other nooks you might want to clue people into?
1: Um, Well, I think that... um... I think there's going to be a, a big market coming up in the live herb business. You know, you see in all the stores the fresh-cut herbs. People have transitioned from the dry herbs to the fresh-cut, but you're getting these little two-third-ounce packets at a high price, and the, you know, the plastic involved probably weighs as much as the herbs, if not more. So if you look at what's happening in Europe the seed breeders over in Europe are creating um, more compact herb varieties, and people have really transitioned away from from the fresh cut to the live herbs, and they just they'll bu- just buy a new plant, um, customarily all the time. It's just routine for them in Europe, and so I see that as kind of an up and coming market in the U.S.
2: Yeah, I'm always shocked by the prices on those little, in the Whole Foods, those little clamshells for like $4. And it's only (laughs) enough herbs for like one and a half omelets. Right. But Right. So you're saying people would just buy a little potted plant and keep it in their kitchen? Yes. And then cut and come again a little bit?
1: Exactly. Well, you know, there's not that much come again on it. It's more like cut and use. But you're getting more product for your dollar, and it's fresher because it's um you know it's still live when you're cutting it to use it um but right. you know they the expectation is well i'll just have this plant for 3 weeks i'll I'll eat it down to nothing and then i'll go pick up another one
2: and maybe they'll get into gardening along the way
1: yes i w- i would hope so you know those um I hope they don't do it by trying to transplant those because they're, you know, they're they're really bred to just be harvested. They probably would not transplant well. But it does once people realize that they can actually keep a plant alive. I think it actually surprises a lot of people at first, and then um, I think what people don't realize is that if you go back enough generations in your family. There was a farmer there in everyone's family, because at some point everyone in the past, everyone farmed. And so we have, that, we have that sort of familial heritage, and we have that genetic heritage as farmers. Everybody has the capability, and so it's just a matter of people like regaining the knowledge to be able to do more of that.
2: Yeah and then and having faith and and stamina enough to brave through the learning process.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and so, you know, I I think about it a lot particularly on the on the start side. You know, I want I want people to have a success when they get our plants. And so we have to make sure that we have something that is really going to be a, a strong plant and that is uh, adapted to our environment here. So we're always doing trials. You know, what the varieties of tomatoes that we grow here are completely different than what you would be growing in New York.
2: Well, we are growing a lot of cherry tomatoes because they are such good sellers. Yeah, but they do well for of, us. Yeah, Um, but you guys have, when I was down there in Arizona, um, there was a lovely lady and she was breeding plants, she was breeding, or she was um, keeping, saving seed and propagating and selling potted tomato tomatoes that were native to Mexico, Mm -hmm. or were kind of Mexican adapted tomato varieties. Is that kind of what you're talking about? What are the characteristics of those?
1: Well, for us, we're always looking for short-season varieties because what happens is um, down south, they'll plant in February, and and by the time it's May, the temperatures are over 100 degrees. So tomatoes over 86 uh, have a hard time setting fruit, um, and they have a hard time creating lycopene. So you end up with blotchy ripening on your existing fruit and you get just a lot of blossom drop because of temperature. So um, down south, they want to do short-season varieties because it gets hot too quickly. Now here up in the Hi. mountains, yeah, it's, uh, we have it gets too cold too quickly. And so, again, you want short-season varieties so that things will ripen up and you can get a harvest before you have your first frost, you know, a lot of people will have to run around and pick everything green the first week of September um, if, when the frosts come. So we're looking at usually smaller-sized tomatoes. The cherry tomatoes are great. The salad-sized tomatoes are great. And the, the bigger things like, you know, the, the two-pound brandy wines and the, the beef steaks and stuff like that, that are you know ninety days, a hundred days to harvest. Those are much more of a challenge in in our climates here.
2: So you're eating tomatoes up on your mountain and the microgreens. Um, tell us what else is what else is happening in New Mexico that might attract other young farmers to the state or those who are from New Mexico and who've moved away. Um, to entice them back, what's, ha- what's well, you know, kind of like bopping?
1: Yeah, what what is the, the big scene in New Mexico right now? Well, uh-huh. the the amazing thing about what we have going on question. now <laughs> versus 10 years ago is we now have distribution networks set up, and we've got um, CSAs set up that will uh, you don't have to have your own CSA. You can sell to existing CSAs. So the um, we have amazing marketing opportunities here that I don't know is so well organized in other areas. We have such long distance to market, being such a a, a big state with the a low population, that um, we have to we have to figure out. You know, once you grow the crop, how do you get it to market and sell it? Well, we have distribution networks set up now so that from a percentage of invoice you can get your product delivered all over the state. So we have access to all of the natural food stores. We have access to the CSAs. And you can. we have just a very vibrant farmer's market scene. The local food movement is just getting bigger and bigger all of the time here. And there's plenty of you know, if you want to um, lease land to farm, it's easy here. There's so much land that people want to be farmed because that's how you preserve your water rights, and water rights are just so precious here in the arid Southwest.
2: So there's a lot of there's good access to land. There's good markets. There's a lot of bicycle culture and alternative culture, and people are into outdoors, and that man just walked away with plants without paying for them. You chase him down. Um, oh, here he is. He's looking how to pay. He's looking in our window. You see him over there? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm doing too many things at
1: once.
2: <laughs> um, the, so anyway, but and what are and what are you experiencing in terms of shifts in the climate or are you experiencing any
1: well we had uh, the warmest spring on record for sure um, where our we're so used to climate variability here that um, it doesn't really look that different we're just used to that all the time you know we have our our twelve inch annual precipitation is a that's a a plus or minus 50%. So some years we might get 6, and some years we might get 18. Um, So, you know, but we have... Taos is really um, a big hotbed of alternative architecture and alternative energy as well. So because Taos became a big, you know back to the land movement back in the 70s when the, when the hippies were all coming, we've got, um, we've got an ecological consciousness up here in northern New Mexico that you don't necessarily see in other parts of the country. You know, the Earthships are, are all come from the Taos area. So there's lots of passive solar architecture. You know, uh, Adobe and Cobb are, are living traditions that never really stopped here. Um, lots of straw bale construction there's uh, amazing stuff happening with the you know on the on the green building side as, as well as on the farming side so it 's actually a pretty exciting place to be. Um, that said, a lot of the young people that are from this area are are not necessarily the ones that are so much into that and uh, you know from we have a big brain drain happening in the mountains here where where the the younger people end up in in Denver or Phoenix or Albuquerque instead of because they grew up in the small town and they want to see more of the world but eventually everybody comes back so uh so we're we're definitely keeping the fires building burning I should say and um you know keeping agriculture going and it's you know the the, the number of small farms has grown extraordinarily up in our region, but it, they're all really on the small side. You know, the I would say like the, the $5,000 annual sales or the $10,000 annual sales size. And so that's why I'm always trying to, um, to push for people to start using the distribution networks and to increase their production so that they can actually make a living doing this rather than having to have a day job and then and then you know or a seasonal job and then farming to uh, just supplement their income you know make it a way of life it's definitely possible i've been able to do it
2: well you're you're sending a very powerful example and i i I wish I could come visit, but maybe, maybe we'll just have to look at you on the Internet. How do we find you? How do, how do those who are listening find your – how do they find out more and, and learn about your operation? Well,
1: the, the, you know, a Google search brings up more than going to our website. Um, chefsedition.com is our website, and that's edition as in E-D-I-T-I-O-N, Chefs Edition. And that's our brand name. Um, But, you know, if people just do a a Google search on on Paul Cross tomatoes, you're going to find all kinds of stuff. We've got a lot of attention uh, over the years, particularly because, you know, this is the week that people plant their tomatoes outside, and everyone is just dying for a good tomato because they haven't had a good one since last October. And... And just at the time that they're putting theirs in, ours from the greenhouse um, are, are ripe and ready to eat. And so we have this huge following in the spring where people are just so appreciative of having, you know, healthy, organic, amazing, big, delicious tomatoes that uh, we've had a lot of press coverage over the, over the years because of that. And it's all available um, when you do a Google search.
2: Right on. Well, here's to the future. May there be be many famous tomato moments. And um, thank you so much for joining.
1: All right, Severin. It's been fun. Thank you.
2: Thank you. So this is another radio of Greenhorn Radio. And I want to make sure we tell everybody that we have a brand new website out for Greenhorns. Thanks to the future farmers out of San Francisco, California, who designed it. And quite a lot of events coming up. Um, we had our early summer hiatus of event programming because of just getting everything in the ground and, and trying not to go crazy. But now, uh, of course, we have, we have begun scheduling again. So tune in to the ca- event calendar if you're in the New York area. Consider coming up on the train this coming weekend for an amazing folk festival called Clearwater where we will be having a, selt- a seltzer fence. Ah, we're, we're making felt, and we're making seltzer, and we're making soda, and then we've also got an agrarian stage with the um, Pocatello Band and the Free Spirit, uh, True, tr- tr- oh golly. Anyway, there's music. Check it out online, and uh, see you soon next week. Bye-bye.